I'm here. Okay, we're ready. Cool. S switching over. Hello? We're hey. back, and the session is being recorded now. Uh, welcome, everyone. This is uh, 2005, April 28th, and it's the Ontolog scheduled technical discussion session. Uh, today's topic is ontologies and tagging. And uh, Dr. Nicholas Roquet from NASA Jet Propulsion Lab is supposed to be moderating. Uh, but since he's probably a bit delayed, uh, maybe we'll ask Kurt to jump in and moderate the session. Is that okay with you, Kurt? Um, yeah, sure. Thank you. Given that I have not even looked at the topic this week. Uh-huh. So, Go ahead. Adam, yeah, has, let, has, I, well, let's just do what we did last time. Let's start with opening statements. Adam, we know you've got a lot to go with, so uh, let's start with someone else. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Before you go, go on, could we go down the agenda? Because I actually have a couple of announcements to make before we go into the discussion. Okay. All right, great. Uh, so in, in terms of, I mean, the, the announcement, uh, I, I had have a, an update on our invited speaker program schedule. Originally, we had Monica Martin scheduled for May 12th, mm -hmm. and that is now rescheduled to May 26th. Uh, instead, uh, I have uh, uh, inserted uh, Mark Greaves, Dr. Mark Greaves from DARPA, uh, who will be speaking for us on May 12th. And his topic will be the future of semantic web technology at DARPA. So uh, as a lot of you might know, uh, Mark has been the program manager at DARPA for the uh, demo uh, project as well as the advanced logistics projects. Uh, and the demo pro, uh, project actually is the precursor to a lot of the work uh, we see in OWL and the semantic web. So uh, Mark will be a fantastic person to be uh, talking this to. This is Nicholas. Oh, Nicholas. Nicholas, thank Welcome. you. Sorry, uh, I, I have a personal commitment in, on Thursday morning that I'm no problem. always no problem. late. Yes, we, we, are, uh, we are being recorded now, so uh -huh. uh, I've already made the introductions. And uh, so far, we've got uh, Kurt Conrad, Bob Smith, James Duma, Adam Peace, Jane Dutra, yourself, and myself, Peter Yim, online. Uh -huh. uh, to maintain. Yes, uh, so I can uh, take uh, the uh, edit of the wiki page. Uh, okay, uh, give give me one moment. Let me uh, get out of there for you. Oh, actually, uh, I have to go to uh, to the meta ontologies. On, no, see, let's see which one am I? I'm in the wrong place. Um. Okay, I am out of there now. You can take over the editing. Did we miss anyone? Calling out the name? No. Okay. Good. All yours. Okay. Nicholas. 
All right. So and uh, all right. So let's let me let me edit the editor control. Okay. So we. Um, I hope that uh, you have uh, read uh, some of the background and um, and the subject. Um, and what I would like to discuss are the two points that um, I've mentioned. One is the idea of uh, switching from monolithic to a factored ontology development. So it's more like a methodology point. And the second point that serves the first is um, that it seems that the way uh, we can do modular ontology development by using factored ontologies is using some form of tagging to annotate the concepts from one ontology relative to where they come from or what explains them in the other ontologies that we were using. And uh, before uh, we move on to the first and the second points, I would like to find out if anybody has uh, comments to make about uh, whether um, the monolithic or factored or really the two uh, main um, styles of ontology development, or whether um, uh, tagging is, um, or are there any other approaches besides tagging for um, achieving this type of uh, factor ontology development? I'm just wondering what you would categorize as a monolithic ontology. Um, it's more like, um, uh, I don't know if you've been following some discussions on Tolog Forum. Uh, is this Adam talking? Yeah. Actually, well, I was about to refer to, uh, I forgot exactly your um, your term that you use to contrast uh, people who write um, in, uh, ontology, on ontologies from scratch as opposed to, for example, um, using, uh, say, sumo, for example, to explain, well, what do you mean by person? And, well, boom, there it is in sumo as opposed to having to invent the wheel. So um, monolithic, I mean by that uh, something that is largely uh, self-contained or that um, for the purposes of a domain or an application's um, perspective um, um, really has most of the content in the ontology itself and, and is, there's very little that is borrowed from other resources. That's more or less what I mean. Oh, okay, I'm, I guess I'm not clear on that, so maybe I'll wait for more discussion. Um, okay. Oh, oh. Uh, Nicholas. Yes. I, I have a question. I, sure. I know you had sort of a preamble uh, confining your dis I mean, possibly confining your discussion to semantic web or owl related ontologies. Is that yes. the scope or yes, the, uh, about ontologies that's, that's, in general? Yes, thank you, Peter. Um, indeed, um, the scope of the discussion here is more about ontologies in the sense of uh, owl ontologies. I understand that there are different styles of ontologies. Uh, some that are formal, like for example, KIF, uh, if you look at uh, Sumo, Dolce, uh, PSL and whatnot, they have axiomatic definitions in, uh, in, in KIF. There's ontologies that have different styles of semantic definitions, not necessarily in axiomatic theories, but in other kinds of theories. Uh, but that's not really the scope of, uh, of the discussion here. And um, we, we chose OWL because it's um, right now the most um, well-known um, uh, form of, uh, um, if you will, semi-formal uh, or leaning towards more of the formal type of ontology development that uh, we have available. That doesn't necessarily mean that somebody who is using OWL to develop an ontology is going to necessarily have um, a a rigorous or something that is uh, that has some formal uh, a crisp formal meaning, and 
and um, in part, um, this type of concern here about uh, how do we, how can we improve the, the practice of ontology development from um, activities that are time-consuming um, because um, someone um, is trying to essentially bite a large scope uh, of, uh, of some form of domain or application uh, semantics and capture that, say, in the context of an hour ontology involves uh, a lot of uh, complex um, decisions and, um, and, and activities for, uh, that require describing uh, important uh, concepts and, and their relationships. And uh, it's very easy in our world not to be so rigorous and, uh, and go for uh, size instead of uh, content. And uh, so in the end, uh, one of the, uh, um, um, the phenomena that um, has been happening um, across uh, various um, groups involved in uh, ontology development really is about um, um, switching from some form of um, um, independent ontology that uh, has almost no connection to other ontologies out there to uh, ontologies that uh, uh, gather more strength and more meaning and more relevance and more usefulness precisely because they uh, uh, specifically describe what uh, um, other um, rigorous notions of, uh, of, of concepts and properties are borrowed from other third-party ontologies or perhaps from some And the practical aspect uh, here is, uh, well, how do we do this? Um, I'm not sure if um, m most people are familiar with uh, the process of um, ontology editing. I mean, there's various levels of, uh, of skill, of course, uh, and, and tool support involved in this. But um, suffice it to say that OWL in OWL itself, um, there were a number of uh, specific um, trade-offs made about expressiveness versus uh, the complexity and the feasibility of, um, of, of reasoning about um, ontologies. And uh, the trade-off that uh, we have now is a trade-off that uh, was very carefully you know, defined and crafted. It's not necessarily the perfect trade-off, but overall it's a pretty good trade-off. Um, and in one of the important aspects of this trade-off is that uh, annotations, uh, i.e., uh, if you will, the equivalent of a, of a comment, um, although it's, uh, there's a specific uh, structure to that type of comment, uh, is uh, as semantics that is outside the semantics of the ontology itself. Um, the semantics of, of an annotation is and not defined by OWL, um, not defined by reasoning systems that use OWL. It's defined by whoever uh, is using that ontology and um, making some interpretation about what these comments or annotations are about. And um, if you look at the um, um, resources at the bottom of the web page um, about, um, uh, let's see, which it goes into the heading. Um, uh, if you look at the, um, uh, the last part of um, resources about modular ontologies, for example, and look at the uh, repository of factors ontologies, um, 
and um, and then below the um, tools supporting modular ontology development, um, you'll see that you know various tools um, in the end uh, support a form of modular ontology development or or if you will factor ontology development by managing um, some form of metadata um, uh, that is not in just in our but it's uh, it, it's outside ours either it is um, because there is a separate uh, if you will onto you know our ontology for creating those notations or because the annotations themselves carry some form of semantic content that um, these tools uh, can make use of or because there's a, um, a you know, yet uh, metadata completely outside of ontology uh, at all. So that's more or less a, a, a brief um, uh, summary about um, my um, perspective about um, monolithic versus um, factored um, ontology development. Um, does anybody have uh, comments to make so far about um, about this kind of a trade-off? Um, I have this, Pat. Mm -hmm. I have a question. Um, you said you, that the um, owl trade-off you feel is a pretty good trade-off. Um, what, what criteria are there for that? I mean, um, trade-off. If, 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 if you think that the owl trade-off is a good trade-off between expressivity and um, tractability, then I presume you you know of applications which have attempted to use more expressive notations and have failed? Um, y yes, um, in the sense that if you looked at, um, um, you know, the processors before OWL, like um, DAML, um, OIL, um, and, um, um, you know, before we got to OWL, uh, there were a number of, uh, a large number of, uh, of languages that, you know, people had developed um, that had, you know, different trade-offs. There is actually a, uh, um, a, a handbook on uh, description logic. Um, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of what the trade-offs are, but I'm, what I'm trying to figure out is whether there's actually any evidence that uh, one can accomplish more with the um, with different specific, specific set of capabilities of OWL versus something with uh, more greater expressiveness. So, so you know, something I uh, yes or, or KIF or whatever. Okay, so. If I understand your question, you're, you're asking um, if we pick a different ontology language besides OWL that has a different kind of trade-off decisions that were made. Um, qualitatively speaking, what is the big uh, difference between this type of ontology or an example of that versus OWL? Is that fair to say? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that there's uh, greater theoretical computational complexity in other languages such as KIF, but um, the question is whether when you want to express a specific piece of bit of knowledge, uh, is the actual time required for computation in OWL any different from the time required for computation in other languages for a particular piece of knowledge? Uh, or, are you, or are you merely 
I mean, I mean, the, the question is, if you're saying L takes less to calculate, what you're saying is L takes less to calculate because we're not, not allowing you to say things. Well, well that's sort of like trivial. Uh, if, if you if you say as little in some other language, okay, would it, would it would it take any longer to calculate? Yeah, okay, I understand what I think. I understand now your your your, your question in the sense that uh, what what you're asking is independency of the ontology language, uh, whether it's R or something else. Um, if I want to represent some some concept or some property, and 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 I'm, I find a way to to do this in in R, say, and I find a way to do it in some language B, um, and now I could compare. Um, was it easier in one versus the other? Um, yeah. Is the reasoning, um, you know, easier, faster, harder in one or the other? Yeah. And I think to answer your question then um, about different trade-offs, I would look perhaps at, um, at abstract specification languages. Um, if you look at, for example, um, one that, that I know of, uh, to, to some extent, um, MOD and another one, Specware, um, they're not, you know, ontology languages in in sense of uh, um, something that has a description logic underneath. They have a different form of formalism. So obviously, we get a different um, trade-off in how easy or complicated it is to express the same. Uh, you know, um, say application-specific concepts, and um, and there's you know big differences. Um, but to say uh, why would I pick uh, Owl versus so why would I pick say Mod over why would I pick Specware? I think there the the argument that overrides this point there is is the question of uh, uh, which one has a standard uh, pedigree and. On the basis of that standard pedigree, uh, which one will have the greatest interoperability? So that if I invest some time to model, you know, some concepts and some properties, say in our, say take the same, you know, application domain, like say for example in the case of NASA space, and do it in our, do it in model, do it in specware. Uh, if I do it in OWL, then quite likely, um, you know, millions of people on the planet can understand what I've done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, um, there's, no, there's no argument that standards are good. I mean, uh, so I, I that standards are good. <laughs> but um, but besides standards, I don't know of any other really criteria for saying um, why. Um, besides, you know, so I mean, maybe you could say you know simplicity or ease of of, of training. Uh, you know, there's some kind of human factors associated. Okay, uh, that's a valid point, but that's true of any. Any, any kind of a decision we have to make about what language to pick. Right, so I mean, this is Adam. So my, what I would suggest then is that it's not, given that there aren't any accepted criteria or formal studies, that it's not a good idea, it's really not correct to say that, you know, OWL embodies a good set of trade-offs. And I think that's the point that Pat was trying to address. Yes, there are trade-offs, but if we haven't quantitatively evaluated those trade-offs uh, with respect to some other language, then in fact we can't say that it's a good set of trade-offs. Okay, that's uh, that's a valid point. Yes. Yeah, uh, but but uh, but as, as as you said, the the fact that OWL is very widely used and there's no evidence that in the near future it'll be any less widely used, rather more so, is, is a very very important consideration uh, for those who want to share the knowledge they are encoding. 
So sure, that, that, that to me is, I think, the, the most important argument, rather, rather, rather than the computational complexity question. <laughs> Uh, yes, okay, and then on that basis then, um, um, you know, following uh, Adam's criteria, uh, you could also say uh, that um, unless you have, um, um, you know, say, domain-specific or application-specific benchmarks um, that um, are, have been accepted as, um, uh, as useful or, or legitimate um, uh, application uh, problems, then um, we cannot e e either um, uh, make an objective comparison of uh, owl's merits um, and strengths. Well, I think one one issue that you can raise, however, is that that um, rather than talking about trade-offs and which is better than some other, um, try to find the most expressive language possible. And then, in fact, there are no trade-offs with regards to the language expressiveness. And the issues that you were talking about earlier in terms of computation that I think Pat was also trying to address um, are, are really issues that don't have much to do with, with the language itself. They have to do with an implementation. So, so I would say that OWL is, in fact, a very bad choice in many ways because it uh, impl implements a number of trade-offs that are not justified and that limit you, and that attempts to address issues of implementation, which can be addressed at implementation time without crippling the language. Um. I mean, I've done ontologies in, in KIF that are very expressive and wound up uh, implementing them, you know, in some sense as uh, Oracle databases run on by Perl that are, you know, incredibly efficient. So you know the implementation has very little to do with with the source construction of the ontology, much in the same way that uh, you know we create data dictionaries that describe things in English, but we don't implement in English. And that, okay, uh, I'll, I'll I'll take that point. However, uh, what I'll um, I'll say to this is by the same argument. Um, We've done a bunch of software using English requirements, and uh, look at what we've got, you know, a big software mess. So, yes, we could uh, certainly uh, pick a highly expressive um, ontology language to do uh, some application or domain uh, modeling um, without, um, you know, concern about um, how we're going to deal with it on a practical level and uh, have, uh, you know, some something that nobody knows how to really uh, do anything about. Well, so you're, you're taking my analogy too far. I'm not saying, suggesting that, that, we, uh, that English is a good representation language. The point that, that you're trying to make that into is that you know, English is informal, and therefore you know, people don't know how to, to reason with it for that reason. And that's, of course, an entirely different situation than what we're talking about here, which is a stratification of logical languages where KIF is completely formal and unambiguous. And then the you know the analogy you're making is is just a, an unwarranted extension of the point I was making, I believe. Okay, uh, maybe I took a hyperbolic um, an analogy to your point, but um, what I'm trying to get at is by the same token that you say, okay, KIF is uh, uh, as nice expressiveness. Uh, you know, someone might say, well, but KIF is not sufficiently expressive. You cannot uh, you know easily express. Uh, a um, you know a, a part you know a second order partial derivative of uh, some um, you know gradient function that I need to calculate uh, I don't know the stability of a control algorithm and so therefore I'm not going to use KIF because it's just uh, unreasonable to express that type of uh, concern in in KIF. Yeah, um, and I would I would I guess I guess I would agree with that. I mean, uh, KIF is not suitable for. Uh, mathematical representations that involve the sort of things that you're talking about. So right, right. The point. 
Right, but at at, at some point there, um, and and part of maybe it's a, it, it's a it's a third motivation for uh, you know using having modular ontologies is that if you pick, uh, you know, by the argument that you make, okay, I'm going to pick the best language that, I, that there is to express my application domain concern, uh, whether it's mathematics, KIF, or whatever, and uh, do this uh, on half a dozen different domains, and then what we've got is now something that is really difficult to figure out. Well, um, you're taking, you know, a second order partial differential um, of, of a gradient descent, what is this gradient of, uh, and how does that relate to something that I've described perhaps in KEF? And my point there is that, um, you know, if, if, if we pick, um, you know, highly expressive, um, you know, modeling languages, then it's very difficult now to, 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 to kind of reach across the aisle, you know, um, where, you know, you have uh, people uh, talking different languages and, and over each other's head without really knowing whether where where uh, where they where they agree on on, um, on 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 an ontological sense about um, what the concepts they're talking about. Well, I think you have some, some choices there. I mean, there's the choice of taking the least common denominator, which seems to be the the current approach that that a lot of people are taking. I think that's that's not a good approach because it uh. basically means that you're left with something that looks like it might be formal but actually isn't because the concepts, the terms, haven't been rigorous, rigorously defined. And they haven't been rigorously defined because there's no way to rigorously define them. You can't even state simple things like rules. Okay, uh, okay, all right. Uh, uh, okay, that, okay, no, okay, you, no, that, that, now that you're putting words in my mouth. I'm not saying that uh, I'm, uh, I'm advocating a least common denominator with OWL. Um, you know, uh, you know, part of the reason I'm, I'm mentioning that it's a, you know kind of a factored or, or modular, or perhaps I should have explained it better, in the sense that at some level I believe there's a value, perhaps in, in OWL, precisely because of its um, nice computational properties and its you know a reasonable, I believe, middle ground in terms of expressiveness. Although it's a you know a degree that it's perhaps at the lower end and KIF might be perhaps at the upper end and something in the middle might be better. As, as a kind of a, 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 non, a, a, a glue um, in which we can relate um, concepts that have been more rigorously or more formally defined in more, in, in, in more specialized ontological languages or formal languages, whether it's mathematics, um, you know, some um, specification language, some type system, or some exotic logic. So you're, are you advocating all of that as an interchange language, believing that uh, there'll be other languages for the actual original authorship of the ontology? Uh, there would be, yes, there would be uh, that, that say, say, take SUMO, okay, uh, you know, formalizing SUMO in EKF, okay, you prove that, okay, it's, it's a reasonable thing to do. Um, you know the fact that sumo is is that big and 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 as you know you can do useful things. Okay, so KIF is uh, you know on the scale of one to a hundred, it's probably you know uh, ninety five up there. About okay, it was a reasonable thing to do. Um, I, and if I wanted to do you know, this thing about uh, formalizing uh, gradients and stuff, okay, I, will, I might take uh, you know differential calculus. That's the right thing to do. 
what all I'm saying is there is that in, in order to, for example, explain um, why the apple fell from the tree um, as, a, as a kind of a sentence or concept or description in KIF relates to some form of, you know, second-order partial differential equation or, or statement in differential calculus, I need enough um, jumps uh, from KIF and from differential calculus to some place where I can find out, you know, are we, you know, do, do we have the concept of fall um, or gravity or, um, or, or change uh, in order to kind of make sense uh, uh, about how uh, a statement in calculus relates to a statement in, uh, in, in sumo, for example. Uh, just that again. Um, Nicholas, I'm, I missed um, part of the early section of this. Uh, have you mentioned that there is actually some kind of um, formal connection between the OWL language and mathematical expressions that, that, you, that you feel are absent in KIF? Um, I have not mentioned that. I know that um, 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 Waldinger at um, SRI has um, um, in the context of a DARPA project, developed a, an axiomatic um, definition or formalization of OWL, um, and he actually used um, the, the specware um, you know, system to, to do that formalization, and um, the SNARK theorem prover to um, go through um, the, the, the tests that are in the OWL specs itself to make sure that uh, uh, his formalization relative to those tests is uh, is accurate is is, is good. Uh, is that the kind of formalization you're talking about, Pat? Um, no, I, I'm. I, you were discussing um, the representation of uh, differential equations and, and how and how that there's there's no easy translation between that language of mathematics and the language of KIF. And and I was wondering if if there was, you know, if if you knew of some efforts to try to um, enable oh, I the, use, the use of such things, such differential equations, within the OWL context. No, and that's precisely why, actually, I was interested in having this uh, technical discussion, ah. because uh, <laughs> I hope that someone um, in, um, in the audience, and um, if, you, if you do know something about it or something that has not been said, please, please, um, don't be shy and, um, and speak up. Well, I, I, my own feeling is there's nothing the least bit profound about it. It's just that uh, my feeling is that one should have procedural attachments within one's ontology for precisely those reasons. But uh, what there, there, are, there, are, there are some things that are just easier to do with, with computer calculations than, than with, with, with formal logic. Okay, I, I, I can buy some form of procedural definition for things that need to be computed. Like, okay, you want to solve an equation. Okay, all right, so there's an algorithm for that. I'm fine with that, but um, are you saying that uh, we would explain how, say, the notion of gradient in, say, differential calculus, or perhaps, uh, you know, uh, you know, par you know, partial derivative, maps to, say, the concept of, you know, change um, in, in, say, sumo? Oh well, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, certainly those terms can be related to each other. Yes, but wh why would it have? Wh why? Why uh, would you do a, a, a procedural uh, mapping from between the two? What, do, what does that procedure compute? Um, my my feeling is that the the way the the optimum way, you know, the 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 problem that Owl addresses. 
uh, or description logic's general generally address is computational complexity. You know, I, I think long ago people realized that when you turned loose a first-order theorem prover on an arbitrary set of axioms, it can take an awful long time to right. And so they, they started getting into description logs to try to restrict that. But but the the, the solution, uh, you know, is, is almost worse than the disease. What you're doing is you're, you're restricting your ability to say things. You're restricting the time it takes by restricting your ability to say things. Um, when when humans do complex calculations, they don't do it that way. They, they, they just recognize that within certain contexts, certain types of logic are appropriate, and within other contexts, other types of logic are appropriate. I mean, we... We know, for example, when you say that the uh, the space shuttle went up, and 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 in NASA you have a list of a million and a half parts that are in the space shuttle. Um, if 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 the next assertion is that uh, there was a malfunction in the booster, um, the question is: uh, Do do you every time you say space shuttle, do you uh, therefore infer a million and a half other component parts? Or do you defer that until some other point when you really need to start looking at the parts list to try to figure out what's what's going on in, in, a, in a later assertion? This is control of inference also, but it's, it's, it's control of inference within context. And this is, I think, what ultimately the, the, um, the field of in intelligence has to get to, you know, computational intelligence has to get to. Uh, and and I, I'm sure, I, I, I'm certain that OWL has its use within certain in certain contexts, that, that that type of logic is, is adequate for some purposes, but that we have to look beyond that for, uh, and, and when we look beyond that, control of inference is still there, the problem is still there, but, and, but, and we haven't addressed it yet. But, but there are two, two separate things here, in, in what I believe in what you said, at least, uh, Pat, is one is that we need to you know, frame the context of, uh, of our reasoning or, or ontological analysis, or even um, what we mean by when we map um, one concept of one ontology uh, or formalization or, or domain, like say, change in differential calculus as partial derivatives to change in sumo in, in its KIF description, say, in logic. Um, and, and so con that context is important. Yes, point taken. Um, I'm not, uh, at least here, uh, in, in the context of this um, te technical discussion, wasn't expecting to really um, get down into a discussion of, well, um, do we need context? Yes. Okay. Point taken. Um, how do we describe that? I'm not sure. Um, um, but I, I was uh, assuming that um, that we would do, uh, we would pay attention or to minor, you know, no, notions of context um, or or viewpoint if you want to use the RMODP uh, terminology. Um, you know, to define the scope of um, what are the relevant things that we want to talk about uh, across two different ontologies, then um, having uh, narrowed down the um, the mapping with this view or or context, uh, and even perhaps even having it, um, explained why do we want to map it, perhaps because we want to. Um, we care about certain problems over a number of um, um, of inferences that we want to make that uh, require us to, you know, uh, that involve you know concept like uh, you know uh, change in say sumo and maybe how do we calculate that in calculus and, and so maybe it becomes legitimate to find out well you know, do I have to bother about partial derivation yes or no or is it an integration problem. 
So even if you if you scope enough the the the, the reasons why we would want to map uh, two ontologies by context, by purpose, by problem, uh, whatever. At some point, what is the nature of um, of of establishing that mapping? And uh, I was a bit puzzled by your statement about using a procedural extension to define how two concepts might map onto another across ontologies. Uh, okay. I, I um, let's see. I I, I didn't specify. I, I wasn't saying that that's the optimum method for concept mapping. That was I. I no, but if it's a possibility. I don't understand what that means. Well, what I was saying is that it, it, within certain contexts, if, if you, you have, for example, in, um, in, in a KIF-based ontology, you would have axioms. And uh, if, if something happened within a system so that uh, a set of axioms would, in that circumstance, ordinarily fire, uh, there may be certain things that are expressed better by uh, uh, computer programs or subroutines, rather than by axioms, are easier or more efficient, whatever. Could, could you give and, an and, example? And a, well, uh, in, in arithmetic computation, you know, you, know, oh. you have you have, uh, for example, within within KIF, you know, it's a specific it, it, within within Sumo, even there's a specification for translations between uh, units of measure. But the translation involves the multiplication. Now, multiplication per se is not a logical operation; it's a mathematical operation. And so, at some point, although it's it's not specified there in in in, in the KIF language, um, when when the uh, computer hits a thing that says uh, this this uh, unit of, of of measure is five times that unit of measure, somehow or another, somebody has to call out to the logical arithmetic computer uh, unit in in the computer. To do the calculation. Okay, then uh, I, I, your notion of procedure is, uh, you know, jives with my notion of procedure. Indeed, yes, that's uh, you, you use it to to carry out some form of a computation in, in that makes sense in that domain. Whereas um, I would look at Owl as as saying, well, um, I have um, reified, if you will the fact that um, this kind of computation or this kind of uh, um, of operation um, is a part of my domain because there's a concept that has the word uh, or that is called I don't know translation or something and it's uh, and it's associated to that um, procedural definition or uh, operationalization if I want to compute certain things but but is, is that executed when 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 the description logic processor is, is executing are, are, are such procedures called uh, I, I mean, I'm not sure, but what I could, you know, imagine is is that by doing uh, ontological level reasoning, you could at least um, determine um, what kinds of, um, if you will, uh, uh, computational algorithms or, or procedural, um, you know, uh, procedurally defined operations um, are relevant to solve the problem. To, to solve the inference problem. Yeah, I, I, I can see I can see that as as as, as a, a as I say where the owl um, and, and the description logic reasoning may be useful within certain constraints, and then you have an envelope around that, like a, a sore like architecture if you want or something. Right. Uh, which 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 uses you know it, it calls the owl description logic reasoning, and then when it hits a point where it says hey we need something else, it then goes out and yeah sure no, no absolutely I, I believe that within you know as part 
part of an overall architecture where um, an owl ontology and description logic reasoning can be used where it's appropriate and efficient. Um, sure, yeah, sounds like a great idea to me. And, and then, in addition, you also have the other thing about OWL being uh, the, the, the incipient worldwide standard for ontologies, and like it or not, you're going to have to live with it. I, I kind of suspect that's true, too. <laughs> right. Um, um, yeah. Okay, so, and in, in, in the other rationale, at least in my, my view, is, um, is that besides just identifying, um, you know, okay, I need, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a derivation problem, so I need to, you know, you know, bring up my, um, you know, library of um, derivation operations and, and algorithms, um, is a question of, well, uh, okay, so I know to, you know, calculate, you know, these different operations, but um, I haven't constructed, um, like I mentioned, you, you're talking about SOAR, uh, I haven't constructed, if you will, a, a, a problem statement in which I know what um, steps I need to do uh, to just to solve that problem. Uh, so perhaps by by you know kind of ontological level reasoning, we could construct those kinds of uh, problem descriptions. Um, but again, it, it only, uh, at least in my view, reinforces the point uh, that uh, even if you use um, uh, domain-specific or application-specific um, um, formalizations, languages, ontologies, spec languages, type systems, or whatever, uh, where we can make um, a, a procedural sense of uh, or implementation of certain um, you know, fun you know, operations we have to carry in those domains, gluing all of these things together um, eventually uh, requires some form of association of uh, saying well, there's these you know, operations, these concepts in these uh, domains, and uh, and 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 we have at least some common language in order to talk about uh, what does what and uh, how they might be relevant to one another. Now you think that Al is adequate for that purpose? I'm uh, I'm not uh, postulating that. I'm open to hear what people here on the, on this conference call opinion are on, on, on that subject. Um, we could certainly take a, a roll call of uh, people who might uh, have uh, some um, opinions on that. Well, I'll tell you where my, my main problem with, with OWL as, as it exists now is that it doesn't have functions and function terms. And um, because uh, I have an interest in natural language, uh, I find that the, the most direct mapping between some types of natural language constructs and um, logical statements is, is by using function terms. And 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 without that it's it's very, very hard to uh, to, to, to to get a close mapping. You really have to go through contortions to try to uh, convert linguistic expressions into L. That, that's my main problem. Okay, now is this okay, so I actually have read something that may actually correspond to what what you said in that um, somebody had made the point that um, how really in itself has a mapping of two ontologies, if you will. Um, I mean, if you take OWL not as an ontology but as a language, um, where one ontology talks about the things we have in the domain, and so it only talks there about the concepts and 
how they're related to one another, but not about functions um, that you could calculate about this concept. And then the second language is, is a um, is a domain-specific type system, uh, like uh, a type system of, um, you know, could, could be uh, um, uh, floating point numbers or, uh, uh, or, or formulas or equations or, uh, or whatever, where now the data type properties, uh, for example, if we, if we use a, uh, a, an ontology editor like Protege or something like that, correspond to the concept of a function, but only a function of one variable, i.e. the function of the concept itself or, the, or, the, uh, or of the uh, instance itself, but not a function of multiple uh, concepts or multiple instances, unless um, the combination of these has been reified um, as another concept or another instance. Okay. Um, was it too, too too much to digest? Uh, no, no. I, I, I'm 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 just I, I don't recognize the specific uh, um, the, the, this this concept that you you you. you okay. Well, there's two different. Does this have a name or is this? Uh, yeah, there's two different properties now, right? So if you, if you pick, like, say, take uh, you know, protege owl, uh, you can model. Um, uh, object properties, you can model data type properties. Yeah, yeah, right. Sure. So but that that that's an LDL, an L right. uh, full that that disappears. R right, but but still, it, 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 it but but when you start to talk about you know it, you know a data type property, it 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 really is almost a, a, you know capturing I think the the notion of a function that says well you know you 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 start with say one instance like say a person and uh, you ask well how much that person weighs and boom you have a weight function and uh, it's the data type property, and the target domain is a uh, you know a, a unit of weight. Yeah, well, the data type properties are functional in that respect, but I I, I had never I, I'd never seen a reference to them being usable as function terms in the sense that I was talking. Um, okay, so now what makes it not usable as function terms? Because that maybe would be enlightening. Um, well, a function term is is where you take a function and an argument. And, and you can reify it as being whatever the value of that function operating on that argument is, and throw it into an assertion. Uh, you know the, the, the whole the whole thing right there. Okay, so you're saying that you cannot write in our a constraint or a or a, a log, you know a logical constraint um, that where where that that incl that involves a data type property. Uh, I, I I don't know of any way to do it. I, I'm, I'm not saying. I mean, I just don't know all that much about OWL. <laughs> but but I, I haven't seen you're, that. You're correct, as far as I know. I mean, OWL does not have functions, and the only arguments that you're allowed to have to a uh, predicate are terms and variables. And so there's no way to have a non-atomic term, which is a function application, such as uh, government fund United States, which is a composite term that refers to the non-reified uh, government of the United States. It's a nice shorthand, very efficient uh, in terms of knowledge representation. OWL simply doesn't support that. Okay, so, so can you repeat that? I'm the, the, the example, I, I, I never... Uh, yeah, so, so in KIF, the syntax would be open paren, government FN, space, United space, un, uh, United States, close paren. And that is a composite term, a functional term, also called a non-atomic term, 
which denotes the government of the United States without necessitating that the knowledge engineer create a new term, government United States. I see. Um, so it's so very, very efficient because then you're not proliferating endless numbers of, you know, the government of Nigeria, the government of Russia, et cetera, and all of you have to do that currently. So you're saying that government FN, um, in, in, in your example, is, is, a, is a function that, given a concept, would say, well, you know, for the United States, you know, here's uh, the, you know, the instance of the government um, or whatever it is. But instead of actually having to get that object, you can just you know, uh, use um, the unevaluated uh, composite term that you said, open parent government FN. Yeah, yeah. And in this FN. case, what you're doing is you're, you're creating an instance on the fly, whereas in OWL, with the uh, you know, restriction property, you can create um, unnamed anonymous classes on the fly. Uh, with, uh, you can create classes on the fly with functions also, but but I'm saying in OWL you can create classes on the fly for certain purposes. I see. So in, so right. So the equivalent in OWL is is for example like uh, the intersection of two concepts. Uh, yeah. Uh, there there you're creating there you're creating a, a class on the fly, but but uh, or or if you can, you know restriction class you can say X. If you want to say that X has a necessary property, you you can say X is a subclass of restriction on property whatever whatever whatever. So there, you're creating a subclass on the fly. Um, so with, with function terms, what you do is you create instances on the fly. Uh, but but there and and well, they can also be classes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Sure, so sure. and you, and so your point, Adam, is that then uh, you're saying is that in you cannot cre you know essentially do create instances on the fly. I have, I know of no way to do that, and and it's it, really useful to be able to do that. And, and isn't that uh, what the notion of a role map is, though? I, what's a role map? <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, in that handbook of description logic um, on, 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 on chapter three, um, it, it, you know, there it talks about um, role map. That is the ability to compose a role. Like, for example, if you have, uh, uh, in their example, I think it goes something like: if you have a person, and then you can talk about, say, their children, and you can talk about their spouse, um, uh, or, since you know, their neighbor, for example. You could say something like, um, and, 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 and uh, somebody knows somebody else. You could say something like, uh, I know all of the children of my neighbors, for example. In yeah, the sense of that's sort of different. I, 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 I have not attempted to find some mechanism oh. by which you can use that to create function terms, but I kind of suspect you can. Actually, uh, actually, the, the point in the, in the role of maps there is that it, 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 it references to sets of instances. So, for example, like in, in that example, it could be, um, you know, something like a you know, person applied to neighbors, um, which returns this, now the set of all neighbors that a person has. Uh, can, can, can this be used in an, as an argument in a um, in an owl statement? And and uh, and not not it depends on the, on the logic. And the point there in that in that handbook is that if you include uh, the the notion of a role map there, um, uh, then into the logic, then there is a, a huge um, increase in um, in expressiveness that comes at the price that um, uh, some people have shown that uh, well it's. Uh, I think it's something like uh, X complete or something like exponentially complete. Uh, you know, reasoning. I mean, it's really just you know very hard to reason. Um, you know, with 
the with this type of uh, of expressive I mean with this much expressiveness well, uh, is, is that included in any of the uh, existing owls or is that no a no because uh, in 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 I mean, in the in uh, in DL um, oh. it had to be yanked out obviously because otherwise it would have made uh, uh, owl DL um, not not expressive and um, it may be in uh, owl four uh, because okay. there I, I have I have not looked at that but but I'm not sure I don't if it I don't know full serve I just don't know but uh, Adam is uh, is uh, the the notion of function application? I mean, is it just for functions that produce just one value, or or functions that could produce sets of you know anything concepts or instances? Yeah, or a function can produce a set. I mean, so for example, in Sumo we have this uh, this notion kappa fun, which is a a, a, a dynamic class forming operator. But, but if, if I may, you know, so there are lots of uh, comparisons and discussion we could do about the differences between OWL and other languages, and we've touched on some of those issues, but, but because we have limited time, I wanted to, to raise one issue which confuses me on the, the page that you put up, Nicholas, where you've talked about monolithic versus composable ontologies. Mm -hmm. of a, a list of, of resources uh, that... Uh, you know, include uh, Dolce and some others, and you don't list Sumo, and I'm wondering if you've fallen victim to the fiction that, that Sumo is somehow not modular. Okay, I can explain that. Uh, I did not include Sumo because I did not, in the end, have the time to... Um, I mean, I was not so sure exactly um, how the... Um, I mean, I know that there's... At least maybe I, I, didn't think, I didn't take the time to think too hard about it. I know that you have... Uh, uh, different parts of Sumo, but um, well, so so let's clear that up uh, now, at least for the other people that are on the call. I mean, Sumo, sure. Sumo is modular. It's been modular from practically the beginning of its existence. It has eleven separable modules with a dependency structure that's indicated right at the beginning of, of the Sumo source file, including you know every version back to about version version eight, and we're on seventy version seventy three now. Um, and in addition to the fact that Sumo is modular in a way that Dolce actually is not in, its, uh, in, in the base Dolce ontology, Sumo also has associated with it dozens of domain ontologies, which are themselves uh, separable modules with a sort of dependency structure. So I'm always surprised when I see people talk about Dolce being modular when the only modularity I can see in Dolce is simply that they've asserted that it's modular, even though there's no decomposability or separability within Dolce itself, and nor are there hardly any uh, domain ontology. Okay, so now, now that you bring up really useful points because it would be very, I believe, um, enlightening um, to if you could explain what makes. I mean, I've I've seen. I don't know if many people have seen. Uh, um, a lot about Dolce, and uh, and of course uh, we have to take the caveat that uh, I don't think we have um, you know someone from the Dolce group um, on on the call to to really speak um, for Dolce. Uh, but given those um, uh, those those caveats and uh, and accommodations, could you explain then what uh, in what sense um, should we interpret that um, Sumo is modular and, and Dolce isn't, or, or that you have composability in Sumo but don't in, in Dolce? What are the the property? You know. So let's look at look at Sumo itself versus Dolce itself. Okay. Okay. So Sumo has eleven separable modules that are clearly delineated in the source file with an indicated dependency structure between them. 
uh, Dolce has, has no division. It simply is a monolithic ontology in their own terms. Now, I don't think that's necessarily bad, but, but I do object to, to what I seem to feel is, is really misinformation. Um, but though to, um, to perhaps to, to play a bit of the devil's advocate, um, if, if you look at, um, at, at Dolce itself, um, I had um, you know, taken a look at, um, at their ontology. Uh, they, are, they, they, they define um, um, in, in the download, and um, I would have to take a look a, a little bit more closely, but they, they do define, though, um, different um, ontologies. Like, for example, they, I know that they have an ontology of, uh, of, of situations, uh, of situations and something else, and then, uh, um, uh, oh, good grief, if I could find... Uh, yeah, but they're not, I mean, sure, they, there are sections of the ontology that, that deal with certain topics, but they haven't specified how those are separable from any of the other topics. It's just, you know, you can look at the taxonomy and see how things are subclassed, but of course you can do that in any ontology. But, but let me be clear, you know, I'm not saying this is actually a bad thing about Dolce. I'm merely saying that the kind of distinction that a number of people have tried to make by, you know, tarring the soup with, with, a, with a meaningless term that it's monolithic is is not is, is just plain inaccurate. Okay, so so your your point then is that uh, um, you know the the sense of monolithic uh, ontology that I've described there is, is perhaps not uh, um, not a good um, um, way of uh, you know comparing um, ontologies. Um, I, I, I just pull out, uh, you know, their their breakdown, and so they have things like uh, they have ontologies for causality, spatial relations, modal descriptions, uh, temporal relations, functional participation. Right, and of course they do, and so sumo. But but the question is, are those things delineated separately so that they are in fact separable? Can one take out a portion of the ontology and know that it doesn't affect some other portion? I I believe. Uh, from um, what I had um, looked at, I believe that um, that um, that that it is modular in the sense you described. That, for example, um, uh, if you take just their backbone, like uh, temporal relations and spatial relations, and um, the um, DNS, I think it's uh, something in situations, descriptions and situations. That after that, for example, then you can layer on top, for example, uh, actions and information objects and and, and systems and, and causality. Okay, so it may well be that they have these modules and they're simply not delineated in the source file and it's described somewhere else. I don't know, um, but again, uh, that is described in detail in the Sumo file, and so it's not fair to, to categorize Sumo simply oh. as a monolithic ontology. Okay, all right, I'm, 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 but I did not make that um, that point though I. I was silent on that, but I, it was not my... Um, my okay, the, the omission was very loud. <laughs> okay, I, okay, I'll, 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 uh, I'll grant you that, um, and I'll, I, I give you my, my, my apologies for, uh, for committing that ontological sin. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't mean to beat up on you, I just, it's something I... Hey, fair is fair. Really okay, need to be corrected, that's all. Okay, um, but, um, it, it, uh, it, but say maybe say if you take for example say um, PSL which um, is ostensibly um, modular um, and and in, in the way um, you know they describe it, um, is there a way where we could you know that that makes sense to talk about um, 
how one's notion of modularity might perhaps be better than somebody else's notion of modularity? Um, hmm, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that you know, PSL does things in a sensible way, uh, much in the same way that Sumo does, where there's a little bit of stuff at the top, just like you know, there's PSL core at the top, and then there are extensions and elaborations to PSL core that are, in some cases, uh, you know, sibling sibling pairwise disjoint, right? So that you can have two siblings uh, that both uh, extend PSL core, but if you don't care about the content in one of them, you don't have to use it. And right. Sumo is exactly the same. That you know, if you don't care about the Mario topology part, you do need the the base ontology and the structural ontology from Sumo. But if if you don't need parts and places, you can you can completely exclude the Mario topology. So just just like PSL. Uh, but I mean, you, you raise a good point. Is there some kind of modularity that's better than another kind? I mean, maybe that's really just a graph theoretic measure that you know, just like for software development, the more the the greater uh, encapsulation that you have, the greater separability of modules, the better. And you could just do that with a, a graph connectedness measure. Uh, I was uh, perhaps thinking of, uh, and and uh, I've had uh, sometimes you know difficulty to explain this because. Uh, here at JPL, for example, there's been a, um, a lot of work that we've done with um, on, on the system engineering of complex systems, where we worry about the notion of state of um, um, of, of various elements in, a, for example, in a spacecraft, whether they're physical, um, especially physical systems like you know, what's the temperature of this, or um, you know, where's the sun, um, um, and where where are we looking at? Um, you know, are we looking the dark, are we looking at the sun, are we looking at the earth, are we looking you know, somewhere else? Um, so there's uh, you know complex notions of of state uh, that uh, that are an important concern, and but at the same time, um, when I look, for example, at um, at the notion of state in in various ontologies, often um, it has not been factored um, as as something that universally applies to, um, for example, any physical um, uh, entity. Sometimes uh, you you might find uh, somebody talks about state because um, they talk about the state of uh, um, uh, a, a you know compared to another ontology a subset of some physical systems, for example, and um, and. And, and so from that point of view, it, it, um, there's an aspect there, there where, where, um, where you could almost ask, um, are, are the, the concepts in one module um, reduced to their really um, most, um, you know, to their simplest form? Well, I think state is a really good example because it's an example where in, in languages with limited expressiveness, people wind up uh, reifying states and not really describing them. And I think that's, in general, very dangerous for, for knowledge representation, where Sumo doesn't really have a lot of concepts of named states. Any state is really just a collection of propositions that state truths about the world. So you're saying um, that the, um, the mistake is about, um, or essentially one issue is uh, um, Reifying a concept like state versus defining it, right? Yeah, I think that's one aspect of a potential problem. I don't want to say that that entirely uh, that named state representations are bad, but in very many uh, ontologies that I've seen that are developed by people that I would not credit with 
with great experience in ontology development, there is, I think, a very common error, error to create you know, reified or named states that are insufficiently described and maybe not even discriminated from actions properly. Yeah, well, one of the problems I've seen with um, in, in, in the um, semi-formal descriptions of states is that there's a great confusion between states which are instantaneous, what's the state at a particular time, whereas in, in, um, in, in certain types of uh, situation logic, for example, a state is uh, a, a particular set of properties that persist over some period of time. And, and that that whole interval of time is considered the state. This is this is a you know, dramatically different thing, and yet um, the people use both of them, and, and you never know what somebody's using if they haven't defined it. Right. Uh, so I've just taken a note um, to kind of capture uh, this point um, where um, I've said uh, uh, for a reified concept uh, we have just a name um, that is in the ontology. Uh, and um, for a defined concept, um, in addition to having um, a name, there is a formal definition um, that uh, uh, at least uh, perhaps, uh, so there's a formal definition. Uh, so for example, like uh, the proper, you know, like state, uh, it could be defined as uh, the properties uh, uh, that a thing has at a specific time. Yeah, yeah, the, the, set, the set, usually, I guess, uh, in situation logic, they talk about the, the, the set of variable properties, which I guess they, they, right. they sometimes call them fluents. So the, uh, that, that set, the set of values of the variable properties right, right. would be the state. Um, so, but... Uh, but again, you have to distinguish whether you're talking about one point in time, whether you're talking about an interval of time over which this... Right, right. Um, but then uh, there's also... Um, um, Perhaps uh, along the same vein, um, another aspect which um, would be perhaps uh, borrowed from um, the emphasis that the uh, Dolce folks uh, have made about what kind of ontological commitments um, are behind uh, uh, a specific concept, and, and is that actually commitment um, defined somewhere or described somewhere? Um, one one of the examples, perhaps, of ontological commitment uh, or the the problems that arise from having ambiguity um, uh, might be perhaps from uh, the presentation that uh, Chris Welty did um, last um, last fall about um, onto clean and uh, the famous examples of um, of the dog and the collar, um, where you say uh, the dog has a collar, but is the collar really um, an essential part of the dog in the sense of the dog as a head, or is it a temporal decoration of the dog that um, may not last for uh, forever um, if he loses the collar? And um, so, are, are, uh, these are the rigid properties. These are right. The rigid so, so, and uh, so. On, on, on the basis of, uh, of, of clarifying uh, what those um, ontological commitments um, are uh, behind uh, the definition of a concept, um, I find that there's, in the end, um, very few ontologies around that have both, um, you, know, I, 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 you know, some form of axiomatic definition, kind of like what uh, 
Adam is insisting on, and um, and I, I, I fully agree is, um, is is almost inevitable if we want to make the ontology truly reusable, um, and and um, and some clarity in terms of exactly um, what um, independently of those axioms what. What do we really mean by um, by that concept? Oh, that's a really great great point. I mean, so I would say there isn't anything else. So what do we really mean by a term in sumo? We mean exactly no more and no less than what the axioms say it means. And that's a key difference between a formal ontology and an informal ontology. And an informal ontology, like a taxonomy, like most stuff that's done in OWL, you know, you create a term, and the meaning of that term is it has to be inferred from a human reading that term and inferring the intent of, of the original author because you simply don't have the axioms that really say what it really means. In sumo, you do. And so to the extent that there is any intent that is not captured uh, in an axiom in sumo, that's missing information. That's a problem that needs to be corrected. Because I, every I, term I, means no more and no less than what its axioms say. I'd agree that that's true, except for one caveat. Uh, if, if your ontology includes instances, and they are real-world instances, then the real-world instances actually present a certain type of grounding. If you say that the Eiffel Tower in Paris is an example of a structure, then this is a, this is a certain amount of grounding. Even if you said nothing else about the meaning of structure, this does provide some elements of meaning. Uh, well, it provides some elements of meaning, you know, yeah, in, well, in the grounding sense that once you come up with, for example, the Eiffel Tower as an answer that then a human reads, then yes, the human is going to imbue that term with some meaning because, you know, we all know what the Eiffel Tower is. But from the software standpoint, if you're assuming a reasoning system, of course, the software has no idea what the Eiffel Tower means, and the only way that it's going to know to get it as an answer is, is that you you know, included the, the necessary uh, logical statements in, in the reasoning system. Uh, yeah, the, I think part of, part of the answer to that is, is again, procedural attachment. That, that um, if your procedural attachment is such that a, a computer uh, has some um, way of determining where it is situated and some way of, uh, de of uh, finding information through some set of sensors, remote or local, then it, it can be situated in f and, and, and it, it may have, have a camera pointing to the Eiffel Tower and say, oh, yeah, it's still there. Something well, but like I mean, that, that's grounding also. Yeah, that's in, grounding. In the same way that our eyes are grounding. So, so, it's so grounding, but it's also not strictly necessary because one could, could imagine, you know, that information just existing in the knowledge base as opposed to being dynamically computed or grabbed in, in some way. So, so if I understand the if I if I to capture the point precisely, then um, so Adam, you're saying that okay for concepts, they, you know, their definition is precisely um, you know the, what you know defined derived from the axioms no more or no less. Okay, point taken. Um, and Pat, you said this is okay for concepts, but for instances, there's something that is missing. Uh, and and you give the example of the full tower as a as a, an example of an instance or a real world instance of the class of towers, I suppose. Well, um, uh, the, the computers, you, you will have instances, and, and, and a computer will typically not uh, have the facilities for going out by itself to, to verify statements that are made. And for that matter, people don't either. Uh, but it does have some facilities. It, 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 the computer within its ontology can know, for example, what a computer screen is and what a printer is. And, uh, and, it, and it may have 
sensors or uh, you know attached sensors or effectors, uh, and and if it has feedback from those devices, it can uh, it can verify experimentally uh, whether or not uh, certain logical statements that 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 look like you know just just plain unverifiable logic. It can actually do experiments to determine whether these things are consistent or not. Okay. You know, the problem of how to get a computer, you know, how to get real real meaningful grounding into a computer, of course, is is tough. But but it's it's not total, as totally hopeless as people think. You know, you know, philosophers have you know, solipsistic philosophers have said, oh, there there really is no real world. Everything's in your head, and that's not true because we we can do experiments. And, and it's also true about computers. Everything's not just in a computer memory. A computer can do experiments too, so, if, so, if you build it properly. So, so, so you're saying that then, for to capture the meaning, the precise meaning of an instance, like uh, if you take the Eiffel Tower as an instance, then uh, you need something that is outside logic, like some kind of a procedural attachment or something that would say, well, it's a thing at this specific geographical location. Yada, 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 say, yeah, well, yeah, that's I what so. I mean. Yeah, I think I think you need a way, something external that the computer can query. Um, so that you could. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, right. but you know, the, we the ontologists substitute for that by just just creating, as as Adam says, creating more and more detail uh, within uh, within your ontological structures itself, so that so that the computer doesn't have to do that. But it just it just reasons. It's just that it has no way of verifying but, but whether what would, you said is true or not. Right? Wouldn't it be then? Um, proper or, or adequate to say that when when we need to do something like what you said, you know, put some kind of a procedural attachment or, or a, an attachment of some, you know, of a different kind, that really what, what's happening now is that we, we, we are making, uh, we have to make an interpretation of, of, uh, of, a, uh, of, of a concept uh, or, or, or an instance. and. If, if we have to make an interpretation of a concept, then we can use its axiomatic definition because now we can reason logically about uh, that interpretation. And when we have to make an interpretation about an instance, then we we need to have a mapping of um, uh, uh, of, of for interpreting that instance into a different kind of um, you know, you know uh, theoretical domain or, or realm. Well, well, you you don't need it if you trust. That, that every if you trust that everything that you've been told is true, you don't need it. You don't need a method. Right, but if you want to, but if but you if 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 if, if uh, you know if you run into the objection that the computer uh, the computer is, is is reasoning with with utter nonsense, you know it's been told utter nonsense and it's going off in the corner and reasoning with utter nonsense, then 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 that raises the the question of whether the the computer will have any method of verifying what it's been told. Well, I mean the the, the rationale there comes from when. Um, you know, when when you know the question we had about well, how do we compare modular ontologies? If say you know, two ontologies might talk about state, you know, are they talking about the same thing? Um, okay, so if we have axiomatic definitions for what um, they eat, they mean, okay, so we can compare those things and uh, and evaluate them on the basis of what kind of uh, inferences we can make uh, with those axiomatic definitions, which is you know fine and dandy. When we get down to comparing instances, then. Um, then, then that's where we have to jump into outside the logic. Um, well, I, I, I mean, you, 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 you can you can reason about the instances too uh, with with what you, with the information you have. That's not, you know, I'm, I'm not saying you can't do that. You can, and and you don't necessarily need procedural attachments for that. It's it's only if if you get into the question of of uh, uh, grounding. Yeah. You know, we we get into this by right. saying by and saying you know is is a is a uh, concept defined exclusively by those axioms 
uh, that, that the computer has, has been told are true. Oh, and I'm just saying that, that that's, in general, that will be the case. That is to say, the computer won't bother with, with anything else. But there is an alternative in that you might have procedural attachments, which will provide some elements of meaning beyond well, the automatic. I mean, there's there's the there's the you know the you know the well-known you know practice where even in the context of our we can take an instance and say we can reify that instance into a class so that it becomes a concept and we could even say do like what I'm suggest you know attach it some axiomatic definition about what that instance is but that still will not allow us to make sure to check if. Um, we have two descriptions of the same instance in two different ontologies, perhaps that we want to use for some purpose, uh, or say to construct, you know, a third ontology from a modular point of view. Are they the same instances really? Um, because in each case, they would, they even if they are refined as as, as concepts uh, with with uh, axiomatic definitions, um, the only axiomatic definitions within their own theories not about each other's theories. And and so obviously we need some form of grounding there somewhere about, uh, you know, that it re eventually results to some common denominator where we can uh, do easy comparison testing. Well, I'm, I'm not sure that, uh, that I've completely understood. I, I, let, me, let me say that the within OWL, I understand that the one, one mechanism for concluding identity is through the um, cardinality restrictions. That you know, if you if you assert that there is only one, uh, yes, but one 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 instance that that has all these properties, and, and you have two different instances that have, and that was the question of the unique name hypothesis. Right, right. But the problem is there is that it's only uniqueness within the scope of one ontology. So if you take two ontologies, like say take for example, suppose you had you know some form of our version of sumo or some subset of sumo, and our versions have Dolce, say. And, and you take the, the notion that we've talked about, that state. You know, so clearly state is a concept, and both have some kind of axiomatic definitions. You know, are they the same things? Okay, so on the basis of these axioms, we can say yes or no. Um, because it would either, the axioms would be equivalent modulo uh, alpha renaming. Uh, maybe it's called, you know, state and sumo, and maybe called, no, no, uh, an eta or, you know, some other word in some different language, but, um, you know, modulo um, a, a, a label equivalence, uh, they're the same thing. Yeah, I, I, the only, um, uh, I, I think that in order to, to accurately uh, recognize the relationship between the two ontologies, I, I know of no way to do it other than have each of those domain ontologies defined by the same upper ontology or middle or whatever, by some, some higher level, by using some common higher level ontology. And, and without that, you know, without that um, uh, criterion of meaning, without that uh, specification or standard of meaning, I, I, I think that in general, um, the, the question of mapping one ontology to another is, is hopeless. Not that it can't be done, but in the cases I've seen it, you know, not that you can't do something, but in the cases I've seen any kind of mapping done, typically they're they're based either on uh, on, on on the names, you know, common names, uh, or on certain common types of um, graph structural criteria. Folks, I'm and sorry, I'm going to have to go, but thanks thanks for the conversation. Yeah. And I'll talk to you later. Thank you, Adam. Okay. Bye bye. Uh, well, I, I think I I I, I differ a bit uh, with you, Pat. There, in in that. Um, um, if you borrow from um, people who do um, 
uh, you know, formal specifications, uh, especially in um, algebraic specifications, um, uh, you know, they, they, at some point they say, well, um, uh, this property is true. Uh, uh, or, or say, take for example, you know, uh, simpler. Take go, if you go to the PSL page, for example, and look at um, you know their axiomatic definition of of the core, and and look at say process. Uh, what is a process uh, or what is an activity? And they define it by uh, a, a predicate, and they say, well, um, you know, state, um, you know, question mark uh, S or, or activity question mark A is true. If in an interpretation of PSL, um, you know, question mark A denotes an activity, or for the case of state, you know, question mark S denotes a state. So there's a judgment there that uh, they differ to um, if you will, an interpretation of uh, of, of their uh, uh, of their ontology, and so in in the case of uh, of, of you know for, to compare instances uh, you know across two different ontologies, you know, could, if if we have uh, you know enough attachments, then aren't these really uh, you know forms of uh, of, of explicit mappings from things in the ontology, in this case an instance, if you if you create manually, you know, if a human looks at two different ontologies and manually says, I know from all the all the things that my by full power of the human intellect, I know that this node in this ontology is exactly means exactly the same thing as that node in that ontology, and then from there you go on and you do a few more mappings create some uh, cores around which uh, you might be able to fan out to a certain extent. But in, in all of the uh, ontology mapping work that I have seen, they only attempt to map uh, the, the hierarchies from one to another. And that process is extremely error-prone. That itself is extremely error-prone. But when you go beyond that and you say the only meaning, the only meaning that has that, that is of of any consequence whatsoever in an ontology lies in the relations. Have you ever seen anyone attempt to map relations from one ontology to another? I've never seen an example. I'd love to if I could find one. And without that, it's totally, completely hopeless. And, and so uh, by m mapping of relations, you're saying... You know, when I say this is a, a, X is a part of Y, and you say X is a part of Y, do these things mean the same thing? People mean a lot of different things when they right. mean things apart. So, so if you take parthood as a relation, you're saying that you haven't seen people map parthood from one ontology to another. What I'm saying is it can't be done automatically. It cannot. Well, you have, well, couldn't in, you in, in theory, it might be done automatically. If you had, if you had a computer, you know, if these are axiomatically defined, and you had a computer that could interpret the axioms. But, but couldn't you, couldn't you say though? I mean, supposing that you have these two versions that have, uh, you know, axiomatic you know, definitions. So, I mean, we're not even. So, we're clearly not talking about, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, our one-on-one you know, type ontology. I mean, we're talking about something a bit more, more rigorously defined. So if you had two ontologies, A and B, and with there are axiomatic definitions, and you, and, and you postulated, um, you know, part two here means the same thing as part two over there. Okay. Um, wouldn't you know? A, you know, via theorem proving, we should be able to prove if if the implications of, uh, that this has, you know, relative to all of their their axioms, 
leads to a logical consistency or not. And if well, if, if anything, if anything is different, okay. If, if anything, if anything in those two ontologies, you know, one node differs. Uh, since every node is connected to everyone else, your logical implications ultimately will hit that node that's different, and your reasoner will have to come back to the, to, to the answer that no, they're not the same. They cannot be the same because they do have at least one in, uh, implication that differs. But w wouldn't but m m couldn't there be I mean couldn't there be a situation where, for example, in one case you have you know say you know parchhood between say you know two different kinds of things where those things are are you know the ontologies does not break down what those things are so it just stops there it's it's, it's at the level of abstraction where where for example say state okay is, is not defined any further beyond yeah, the, yeah, yeah. beyond and, the truth and, and, yeah, and, that, and that sort of thing and sure, you can you can you can have you can have very very shallow you you can you can you can have very shallow reasoning. That is to say, again, wh whether or not whether or not you have interoperability or any usable connections between two ontologies depends upon the kind of reasoning you intend to do. If all you want to do is, for example, see if X is connected to Y by some number of, of links, um, you you may not need any interpretation. Oh, at I'm, all. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's not a question of connecting. But if you're gonna if you're gonna do any any you know any kind of at all sophisticated reasoning, like just just one or two levels of inference, you start running into big problems fast. Uh, and when 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 the ontologies differ. Uh, and so you you're saying that. So if I understand well, what you what you're saying is, it, it, to to the extent that um, that. See, so if you, if you, if you take uh, you know an axiomatic definition that could be just uh, a a a, a, com a an end or combination of uh, either say uh, um, you know uh, of predicates say uh, and say perhaps uh, logical implications so we only have uh, say four four operators uh, and or um, you know calculate a predicate or uh, use an implication rule right. Um, so if you only add these four things there to to you know to to construct a, a, an axiomatic definition on in, in two different ontologies, are you saying that to the extent that a predicate is mentioned in um, on one place or an implication rule is is uh, you know shows up in, uh, in in both places, then they have to be um, they have to be in both places all the time, or uh, I think it um, or um, Actually, I'm not sure exactly how to explain, but it's almost like saying uh, that uh, there's an entire set of axioms that the other, uh, that the only other difference there could be is, is if uh, one ontology complete, does not contain any um, any concepts or any predicates or any implication rules involving a set of axioms because those, the concepts on the other side um, either are, are absent or uh, or they're uh, or, or they're not. They have no relationship well, okay. to, if, if, to, if to the other. If one side. ontology, let us say, you have one ontological structure, and it's actually a subset of another. Okay, you have one ontological structure, a subset. Now, if you do um, any reasoning within the subset ontology, yes, that's you, you will you will generate uh, a bunch of axioms. Now, you will not generate all of the inferences that you would generate with the larger ontology. Right. But, but the inferences that you do generate should not be inconsistent. It right. should not be logically contradictory to anything in the larger ontology. Right. You're using the same things. It's just that you're not fanning out further, but you're not going to be inconsistent. So if you're talking about 
you know, one ontology being a subset of another, that, that kind of difference, they, they will be different, and you will get different logical implications, well, okay. but you will not get contradiction. So, so if, if contradiction is the criterion, then, um, then you can... Uh, and, and to be a subset means in this case that you're what dropping axioms or that you're yeah, dropping just, pull, just pull out a few classes you know you know i'm i'm, I'm interested in uh, here, here's here's an ontology that treats the whole world okay um uh, and but, I'll, but i'm interested in chip manufacture i don't want anything of biology nothing okay i don't want anything of sociology nothing so now i have a subset of that gigantic ontology and i'm going to do inferencing in my uh physics and chemistry and, and mechanics uh, right. Okay, and, but these are and, and every every inference I'll generate there should be consistent with a larger ontology. Yeah, but that, those are those are almost, um, if I could say so, uh, you know, the clear-cut cases of um, of of being a subset or being uh, um, you know, disjoint. Right. But um, you know, the the, the there's a, a more subtle case that shows up with. Uh, differences of ontological commitment that may not have been completely fleshed out over, or, 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 or described or accounted for in terms of the axioms in the ontologies. Like if right. you take, for example, That's a problem. Uh, the notion of, say, time, and, um, and, and so, say, take, you know, from this example of state, okay, so it's a property of a thing at some specific time, okay, so, now, well, what do you mean by time? Well, in, maybe in one ontology, time could be, okay, well, let's just define the time and, you know, you know, uh, and grounded in a, in the real-time clock. Um, you know, hour, minute, seconds, nanoseconds, boom, end of the story. In another ontology, you could say, well, no, 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 no. You know, we, you know, time is more, more, more subtle thing, um, and and, um, and 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 take a you know a, a different view of uh, of time altogether. Um, and so, in order, for example, to say that um, that you know, that these two ontologies might interoperate, we might have to um, not just say, okay, you know, the the wall clock time on this side corresponds to this specific specialization of time over there, but we probably would have to also say, and by the way, um, we're never going to talk about, uh, say, uh, suppose that on the other side you have, I don't know, say, um, you know, relative, you know, relativistic time, or I don't know, some you know, science fiction time, that you're never going to essentially ask about um, some form of a consistency of concepts involving uh, science fiction time with, uh, on one side, um, related to concepts involving a wall clock time on the other side. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure I follow what the point was. But <laughs> the point is, the point is, uh, is but, but but I mean, can, can you can you define time differently so that they're inconsistent? Absolutely, of course you can. Sure, sure, you can define anything differently. So that's, well, almost anything. Yeah, but when, when I'm, it's, it's it's not just something that they're dif different, but it's that someone may make um, you know more subtle you know differentiations that on the other side are not captured, and so those differences end up being blurred. Um, Right, and there are two. There are two. I think there are two scenarios in which that kind of difference shows up. One is where uh, you, you make additional distinctions, but they're, they're mere refinements. That is to say, the um, uh, you, you you may have a, a theory which postulates a certain 
uh, types of objects, and, and uh, you'll say that there are relations that hold to a certain level of precision. And then somebody else comes along and says, well, um, here's, here's additional factors, and, and, and these factors will hold to uh, a, a higher level of precision. Now, the, the models in that case are not really contradictory, um, and you can treat that by, uh, by including within your um, measurement uh, uh, you're, you're, you're within your measurements, a, 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 a notion of level of precision. But now, when you get to something like um, uh, Newtonian gravity versus Einsteinian gravity, you know, with Newton you have flat space, right. and with Einstein you have curved space. These are truly different models, and so that's a different situation. Now, um, yeah, I mean the, these these are different things. Now, if 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 one ontology uses only Newtonian space, another ontology uses only Einsteinian space. In most cases, you probably won't notice the difference when you take a measurement, but every now and then, under certain extreme conditions, you will. And, and sure, there'll be contradictions, because the models themselves are contradictory. Right, but, but in the end, you, if we had axiomatic definitions of, uh, say, uh, you know, Newton physics and, uh, say, you know, uh, theory of relativity stuff, uh, you might, you know, um, say, well, you know, no, they're not consistent, because precisely because of... Uh, uh, you know, in some uh, sense, you know, we could find, construct these, uh, uh, you know, absurdities where, um, you know, it's true in Newton physics, but it's not in, in on the other side, and other examples where they both agree on uh, on some simple things like uh, the apple fell from the tree. So, in uh, in there's 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 context where um, we we may have. Um, you know, differences across ontologies that are more, you know, subtle than, they're, they're not subset of one another, they're not disjoint from one another, they're not simple refinements from one another, um, they, they they agree on, on some things and they disagree on others. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that will happen. If the, if the ontologies are developed separately and are not referenced to the same upper ontology, that's inevitable. Right? It's, 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 right. it's virtually impossible not to have such contradictions. And so the question then is, is you, you, you nevertheless seem fairly sanguine about the, the ability to map meaningfully between such ontologies. But, but, I'm yeah. not. <laughs> it, 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 what, what do you think then of perhaps a, a practical strategy where you could say, okay, if we care then to use both or to talk about things that we uh, both agree on, well, maybe we have to reify, um, you know, the their, you know, the place of their agreement, um, so that we can, um, you know, go back to the case where it's more black and white. You know, they're equivalent, um, or they're disjoint, or they're, they're subset of one another, or they agree up to some uh, criteria of uh, precision refinement. Okay, I, I think probably with a lot of work, I, I, I've never attempted it, but my guess is that with a lot of work, uh, if, you, if, you, if you looked carefully and thought hard, I'm talking about a person looking carefully and thinking hard, you, you could find ways of expressing what's in one ontology in terms of what's in the other. But again, I'm talking about a person doing it. I don't know of any computer that's smart enough to do that kind of work. Right. Okay. And uh, and the other the other point is that it would probably take you some much more time to do that than than to build a whole new ontology, or better yet, just have everybody reference their domain ontologies to the same defining set of concepts in the, in, in the common upper ontology right from the start, and then you'd never run into that problem. <laughs> and it's a lot more practical than it sounds. <laughs> okay. I, I believe that's a good juncture to conclude the discussion. I believe so. Um, <laughs> time it, is running out, and 
and we finally okay. agreed it must that been mostly a, a kind of a, a, yeah, a two-way and three-way conversation but uh, I hope that um, the various um, you know participants who have been uh, patient and um, and endured uh, this discussion um, all this time have uh, got some, something useful um, if, if you if anybody has some um, brief concluding um, remarks to to offer uh, for the benefit of all uh, I believe is the discussion is very enlightening and uh, it's great that we are doing this and we should keep on doing it okay yeah, I agree I mean I, I've, I've come up against uh, a lot of the issues that were um, discussed during this uh, discussion and uh, have a lot of questions and as a result of this, of this discussion. Um, so it's very enlightening. Okay. Thank you all, and um, thank you, Nicholas. Until next time. Uh, and, and Nicholas, uh, do, you, do you have one minute to stay on just for one second after? Yes, I have. Uh, is this Pat? It's Pat, right? Okay, yeah. we are still being recorded, so let me drop out first. Do you want me to call you, Pat? Yes. Um, sure, just, just take a couple of minutes. Uh, just, just an issue.